Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. in real trouble here, although they're lucky to get that loose ball. Gibbs with the thrust. Robert Jones... Nicely out to Emir Lewis. Emir Lewis is checking up, goes Yayan Evans. Yayan Evans is away. Can the cap? Welsh captain make it? He's going to do it. And it's a try for Wales. And the Welsh captain has scored his eighth and his 37th. Welcome to another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast and what a show we have got lined up for you this evening. Uh, As we record this, we have a a very special guest joining us. The Scarlet's Executive Chairman, Simon Mudarak, will be with us, which is very, very exciting indeed. Uh, I'm also joined by good friend of the show and top journalist, Stefan Thomas, to look back on a really exciting uh, weekend of rugby. And uh, that's something we haven't been able to say for a little while. So certainly looking forward to doing that. And we have got stacks and stacks and stacks of listeners' questions to get stuck into. So myself and Steph will be doing that in the second half of the show. Uh, you'll Regular listeners, of course, will know this is the point where I usually thank our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. But seeing as uh, Scott Otten was responsible for the Dragon's demise uh, last night, I, I don't really feel like doing that. But I won't hold it against him if you want to get some top quality coffee you can do that by going to so coffeetrades.co.uk right on with the show and as I said there in the intro delighted to welcome to the show Simon Mudrak, executive chairman of the Scarlets Simon good evening great to speak to you yeah thanks for having me on Jen likewise yeah it's great to uh, great to have you with us and um yeah, going to start obviously by uh, I guess uh, addressing last night's last night's game, tough loss last night. But um, how uh, how do you assess that game and uh, and I guess the season so far? Um, yeah, it's a disappointing. I mean, clearly, you know, the Blues had a reaction to what's been going on, you know, with with them this week. So you know, fair play to them, and you know, well done. They definitely were were up for it, and you know, really, really wanted the win. Uh, it's a great stadium to go to. So I enjoyed that part of the experience, Um, you know, clearly disappointed with the outcome. We probably didn't start off with the intensity that I would have hoped for. And then, you know, clearly there were a couple of incidents in the game, which I disagree with, you know, that caused us to to lose a couple of guys, Um, you know, Liam, obviously for, you know, the the latter part of the game. 
Uh, we did come back into it. You know, clearly we came out after the half with a higher degree of intensity and, you know, snuck the lead. And, and I thought we might actually hang in there and, and get the victory, but uh, it was not to be. And, you know, all credit to the, to the Blues, you know, fantastic for them to, you know, get the victory after, as I said earlier, you know, very difficult week off the pitch. How much of a turning point was that sending off, do you think? I'd like to think there were other things we could have done in the game. Um, you know, I'm not going to hang Liam out to dry. Um, you know, he hasn't played for us, you know, for quite some time. And clearly, you know, we really wanted to, you know, make a contribution for the Scarlets as well as for himself. Um, you know, arguably, you know, we would have snuck it. Uh, but I think, you know, there were enough things that we could have done that we could have controlled where we still could have snuck the game, which is not to take anything away from the Blues. You know, I thought they... You know, they played with a high degree of intensity and, you know, there were some great performances amongst their squad uh, on the evening. But, um, yeah, we just didn't quite do enough. It was perhaps a, a slightly slow start to the season, but certainly results in the lead up to Christmas and, and over the festive period have been really good. Is that is that certainly cause for cause for optimism within Parker Scarlet's? Yeah, you have to think so. Um, you know, certainly, you know, we're disappointed. I mean, if you look at the games leading up to Christmas... You know, the only game where we really, uh, you know, were well and truly beaten was the Glasgow game. You know, I think outside of that, you know, it was very, very close. Um, and, you know, we were playing, you know, with quite a young squad at, at times. Uh, I think, you know, two things or three things maybe that have impacted us. And these are not excuses, but it's just, you know, a function in terms of where we're at now. And, you know, ideally, I'd like to think that going forward structurally, these are things that we can improve upon and work upon. You know, we're firstly coming into the season, it was quite a lot of injuries. You know, I think at one point in time, you know, 20 players were on the injured list, uh, which is, you know, significant for any squad. Um, you know, a lot of players obviously tied up into the international squads. I think at one point, you know, we were 17 players out on international duty. And clearly we, we do take a lot of pride in that, you know, as a club. But, um, you know, the reality is that also has a massive impact in terms of your on-field performance. And then due to COVID, you know, even less flexibility or the, the inability to provide flexibility around player release. You know, so even, even the boys that weren't playing regularly, particularly for Wales, you know, that they weren't able to play for us. I mean, I think the standout example in terms of the impact there, if you look at the game where we played at Edinburgh at home, where we lost by a point or two, you know, Edinburgh had the benefit of four international squad members being released back into their 15 for that game, you know, whereas we had none. So that has a massive impact. So, you know, again, it's a set of excuses, but if, if you bundle those things together, you know, that would have had an impact to any squad on the planet. I also think we, we managed to get through five minutes of the show without mentioning COVID, which is probably a record for the last, uh, for the last year or so. Uh, but you took over last summer, obviously a, a very, very difficult time to do that. How hard has it been to, to navigate the, the COVID crisis uh, you know, within, within that new role that you took on? Coming into the role, you know, COVID was underway. You know, I first started my conversations with the club, you know, back in, in March. Um, so, you know, COVID was, was bubbling up and clearly was going to be significant. Uh, but the impact and the extent of the impact... Uh, you know, is far beyond realistically, I think, what most of us foresaw at the time. Um, and, and still, you know, we're working through, you know, what is it going to be? 
you know, yes, we are rolling the vaccine out, but, you know, clearly COVID is mutating and, you know, the challenges continue. And, you know, today, um, you know, as we look at the numbers over the past week or so, um, I think, you know, it's very difficult to foresee normality resuming for a number of months, um, you know, if not well into, well and truly into 2021. Um, when, you know, I first came into the club, uh, we had a plan to get through COVID uh, on the basis that we would start to see meaningful crowds come into the game by now. Uh, that's obviously not happening. So we've had to replan, you know, we've had to adapt, we've had to adjust, uh, which we continue to do on a, on a weekly, on a daily, uh, you know, in some cases on an hourly basis. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's a moving feast, but we're not alone. Um, and, uh, you know, the entire game has been impacted and, you know, certainly across all four regions, of, across all four professional clubs in Wales, as well as the community game and the international game, uh, you know, we're all in the same boat, you know, trying to do the best to work through this as well as, you know, society as a whole. And you mentioned the, the, the other regions there. I mean, obviously things have, have been changing off the field for really for, for all the regions, certainly over the last couple of years. But there's been significant change uh, just down the road at the Ospreys with, uh, you know, with some significant investment. Is that something that you think will continue across the regions? And, you know, obviously with your, with your Scarlet's hat on, is that something that is a viable option? There's no doubt the game is changing. Uh, you know, the game that we love is 150 years old. You know, for 125 years, it was really a community game, you know, run by community people, um, free of charge, essentially. For the last 25 years, the game has been professional, uh, but really, you know, particularly if you look at Wales, you look at the UK, you look at the British Isles and Europe, you know, the game's really been supported by benefactors. Uh, we're now moving into a third cycle of, if you like, ownership, investment, support, which is institutional. And, you know, Y11 is, is a good example at a, at a micro level, at a club level. Um, CVC clearly, you know, has invested in Pro 14, has invested in PRL. You know, it's widely being discussed. You know, there's an investment from CVC on the table or being discussed, being finalized around Six Nations. You know, the game is changing. Uh, and significant institutional cash uh, investment shareholding is coming into the game. Um, so undoubtedly, you know, we'll see more of that. As a Scarlet's board, um, you know, we, we actually have a shareholder base of about 3,500 people. Um, so it's pretty widespread. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, being owned by the community and being part of the community. You know, clearly we have been heavily supported by benefactors and, you know, some shareholders are clearly a lot more significant and larger than others, you know, but ultimately, um, you know, we, we run a sustainable business. You know, we don't talk about profit, we talk about surplus uh, and we invest whatever surplus we generate, you know, back into the club, back into our development pathways. You know, we take our role within the community, within society and within the development of the game, you know, for the better good of our community and, and Wales as a whole, you know, we take that very, very seriously clearly in order to be successful on the field and off the field, you know, you need to be prosperous. Um, so we need to continue to find ways to, to be prosperous so that we can continue to be successful and continue to compete and, you know, continue to reinvest into the game. And you mentioned, you know, you mentioned CVC there, private investment is a world that you know 
you know very well yourself now of course investing in a game if you are um if you are a, a vc or private investment you want to see significant you know a significant return on that investment how much do you think that the cbc could really change the change the structure of the the game as we know it considerably and you know i think arguably you know there are some um structural changes that you know we as fans uh you know when we as a club you know would like to see that it's going to take somebody like a cbc to, to help facilitate and drive through um and I, I think you know we need to go through that evolution you know realistically i think you know the current setup in terms of private ownership has probably taken the game as as far as it can be taken you know and the problem you've got with benefactors you know you've got the three d's you know you've got death um divorce uh, and death so um you know you you need longer term visibility over you know how the game is going to be supported and, and also the game needs to become self-sustaining you know the benefactor model is not supportable in perpetuity um so the ability for the game to generate you know sources of revenue sources of income that are market driven that allow the game to be sustainable and allow the game to to grow is is crucial and i think we're now entering a phase where you know that'll become the reality and you know i think it's, a, it's safe to say that that um that that change has begun particularly if you look within the pro 14 had the announcement of the the rainbow cup just before christmas whether or not you know that that feels a long way off at the moment just given where the world is uh, right now but how excited are you about the prospect of you know the likes of the the sharks and the stormers um being yeah being involved i guess in a in a regular basis should the uh, should the league go down that route yeah i mean I, I i'm optimistic in terms of um you know really once we're able to you know pull the jigsaw puzzle together um across an entire season which you know hopefully will be next season the inclusion of those teams will be very very positive uh, you know this year it is a bit of a hodgepodge it's, it's not ideal i don't think anyone would you know pretend that that's the case but the inclusion of those teams does give some spice to the end of the season you know particularly as a curtain raiser to the lions tour now i've just talked about you know two things that you know clearly um <clears throat> you know uh, the, the the world in general uh, you know we're going to control you know way beyond us or um or, or the league uh, and that is you know, the ability of those South African teams to play in our league physically this season and also you know, whether the Lions Tour is going to go ahead or not and in what shape that's going to be. But if you park that for now, uh, the inclusion of those teams does add some spice. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've been told I wasn't around at the time, but, um, you know, when the, the previous two South African teams, you know, came into the league, you know, there was a great, um, a deal of excitement and interest in their inclusion. And I think, you know, the first home game that Scarlet's had, um, which was against the Cheetahs, I believe, you know, we had 10,500 people, you know, show up to watch that game. So clearly, you know, there's an appetite to see something new. There's no doubt that these four teams are incredibly strong. Uh, if we get it right, it will greatly strengthen the quality of the league. And I think, you know, that will enable the value of Pro 16, you know, to elevate itself. Because, you know, undoubtedly the value and, you know, this 
that these numbers are, are in the public domain but um, you know if you look at the value of a league in terms of you know what the media rights are worth you can see what they get in France you can see what they get in England and you can see you know what we currently get for you know what was pro 14 rugby uh, so we've got a job to do to grow that value and then I think as we grow that value and we come to you know more of a le level of parity across the different leagues in the northern hemisphere you know then that opens up further opportunities but you know job number one is to grow the quality and grow the value and yeah i mean you mentioned there the, the first you know the, the, the home game of the scarlet's getting ten and a half thousand. how confident are you that from a from a fan perspective there will be the appetite both at your club and i guess across uh, across the other regions that how you know like we said, there, it's very difficult to do at the moment because I think people would would uh, would be desperate to see any kind of rugby live. But in the long term, are you confident that that there is that that desire to want to see uh, to want to see these teams as part of the league, and, and it will spike the interest? So, um, yeah, if you, if you look at the the, the growth of um, sports in North America in particular. Uh, and when it when it went through its hockey stick almost uh, you know curve of growth, uh, that happened in the 1920s and 30s, and there is a theory that that was directly linked to, you know, the bounce back um, or people's reaction to to Spanish flu, which you know had a significant impact on the continent of North America. Um, I think one of the things that you know people have discovered over the past you know 12 months is that you know material wealth. And material goods is all well and good, but actually, you know, experiences and shared experiences is, is almost something that money can't buy. You know, is an incredibly important part of our human psyche. And, um, you know, I think, you know, people are craving to enjoy those experiences again. And, you know, there's an argument that, you know, they may want to, you know, focus more on those types of experiences than they did in the past. Uh, I think if we can deliver a better quality product, uh, so more competitive, higher intensity games, you know, with more occasion, you know, more drama around them, you know, better production qualities and values, you know, even for, you know, online over TV consumption, uh, you know, I have to believe that there's a market for that. I mean, I get contacted constantly by people, you know, a couple of times a week, you know, long-time season ticket holders at the Scarlets who, um, you know, are desperate to, you know, for the club to take their money in anticipation of them being able to come back into the stadium. You know, when I was down at the Scarlets a couple of weeks before Christmas, you know, family pulled up to the ticket office to buy season tickets, car full of five people, um, a single family bubble, by the way. Uh, and, and they took, you know, and I said, you know, thank you for your support. Thank you for your continued support. They said, no, 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 we're new. You know, we've never had a season ticket before. So they'd driven down to the park to buy a family season ticket, never having been a season ticket holder before, and with no visibility over when they were going to be able to come into the ground to actually see games. Now, you know, that's a very small example, but it is a representative example you know, of, you know, how, how some people at least, uh, you know, are feeling right now. Well, yeah, I think it's a, it's a nice example. And you hope that you hope that there's, there's more of those, um, there's more of those out there. Just, uh, we touched on uh, a couple of things that a couple of events that, as we say, are p potentially in doubt at the moment. Um, 
unfortunately we've got to kind of add the the European Challenge uh, sorry the European Champions Cup to that uh, and in fact all European rugby if that is the case and, and fixtures are postponed what will the plans be at the Scarlets we'll be looking to, to fill those with I don't know with, with friendlies or will it be an opportunity for a bit of recovery time for players uh, we would be keen to play and we've spoken, um, I mean, I, I personally have only spoken to the Blues because I was with them last night face to face. So, so I, I, you know, I did go to the ground um, and I, I did have the opportunity to interact with some of their directors and we'd be keen to play. And look, if the worst thing that we could come up with for the next couple of weekends is a replay of, you know, those two games last night, I think people would be okay with that. You know, it's not ideal, it's not perfect, but, you know, but if we could replicate that um, over the next couple of weekends, you know, to keep some entertainment on the telly, you know, to keep the boys ticking over, I think people would be pretty happy with that. And just to, just to change tact while we, uh, while we kind of finish here, we've spoken on this podcast a number of times about how recruitment has been something that the Scarlet's have traditionally done very well over the last, you know, five, ten years, really. How much harder has that been when the financial situation is is kind of so unclear, or is it, as you say, another another example of everyone is in the same boat? We've got to kind of focus on what we're able to influence. Yeah, I, th- I think it's been harder. Um, you know, simply because you know we're we're a very um, you know grounded club, which is not to say that others aren't, uh, but you know we do take our obligations incredibly seriously. Um, and, you know, if we give, if we offer a contract out, you know, we, we want that contract to be, uh, you know, valid, you know, we have no intention of, of ever breaching a contract if we could possibly avoid it. So, you know, we probably err on the side of caution, you know, having said that we're able to do it because, you know, we do have a strong squad, um, and, you know, we also have a strong development pathway. Um, you know, if anything, we probably overproduce talent. Um, and, and look, you know, as we fast forward into the future, it's not for now. Uh, but I think, you know, if, if you look at football, you know, the there's a model there where it's okay to overproduce talent because you can actually monetize that. You know, we don't have that world in rugby. So, you know, if I was to look cynically at our development pathway, I might argue we do too much of it. Um, you know, that doesn't sit well with me as a scarlet you know, because I want to produce as much talent as I possibly can, you know, for the world of rugby and for the Welsh team uh, as possible. But um, look, I, I think, you know, these are things that as the world of rugby evolves, um, you know, there'll be new models around it. And, and it could be perfectly legitimate for another region, another club, um, you know, to, to decide we're not going to invest so much in development. We're just actually going to buy players out of somebody else's development pathway. And that may actually work for us as well. So these are some of the things that I think, you know, once we get through this crisis and it is a significant crisis, you know, these are the things that I'd like to explore, you know, back to your question earlier about how do I feel about the start of the season? You know, the things that I outlined, those three points that I made, to me, those are all market inefficiencies. And I sound like a bit of an economist probably, um, but, but the reality is I think we can do a better job of running the game. And, and the reality is you never have enough money. So the trick is, you know, to maximize what you do with that money and maximize, you know, your return on your investment. So, 
you know, yes, you know, we need more money, you know, yes, we need to become, you know, more sustainable as a business, but I also think, you know, we need to become more efficient. And, and I think, you know, we need a, you know, a one team for Wales type approach to that, right? And each club, each region could, you know, have a slightly different approach to what they do within that model. But I do think, you know, we have an opportunity to actually do a better job of coming together as, you know, four clubs, four regions, and thinking about the game more holistically. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, so many fascinating points within there. I think the the one I'd like to just drill a little bit deeper on is where you talk about the uh, the academies and, and production of talent, because I guess on the one hand, could it be argued that you know we, we always talk about strength in depth, particularly in Wales, uh, about you know the, the, a couple of injuries and and the squad is you know can be down to can be down to bare bones at, at a different club at a different time, but is what you're saying that you're always going to need seasoned, you know, seasoned professionals on top of that. You can't rely on just producing your own, your own talent to kind of fill those holes, because it does seem like on the one hand, you've got, yeah, injuries mean that, that it can make it tougher to compete. But at the same time, you're saying that producing talent to fill those gaps is perhaps not the right route. Yeah. I mean, we we need a, a, a model that, you know, enables us to put the best team out on the field. And um, I mean, we could talk on this topic, you know, you know, for hours. It's fascinating. Um, but you know, to give you a couple of examples, you know, we don't seem to struggle, you know, spitting out quality number nines from West Wales. You know, we don't seem to struggle spitting out, you know, quality number sevens from West Wales. Um, you know, do we produce people like Sione Calamafoni? You know, we don't, right? Uh, you know, my generation, you know, Scott Cornell was that type of player. With that type of physicality but you know we don't spit a lot of those out of west wales so you know we, we need a bit of a, a blended model and you know i mean if you look at you know sioni's job coming into the scarlets i mean he's you know pulling up trees every time he plays you know he's phenomenal but you know the boys love having him in the environment he's looking after our youngster carwin you know who's got a bright bright future ahead of him who you know we'd like to think you know, he's going to play number eight for Wales one day and, you know, potentially, you know, even go beyond that. So, you know, Sione's got a job, which is accepted. He's delivering epic performances on the field. And he's, you know, putting in a hell of a shift for us, you know, off the field in terms of our contributing to our environment. So, you know, that's a very, very positive story. And I don't think anyone can argue the value of bringing in players, you know, to fill that type of job description. Um, you know, back to another point you made, which is about injuries. So, you know, one of the structural issues we have is, um, you know, the reality is, again, you can never have enough money. You can never have a big enough squad um, because you never know what's around the corner. But I th- think we have an opportunity to look holistically again across Wales, which is, you know, if we had a loan uh, market, you know, we... <laughs> you know, maybe we all don't need to carry five players in each position, right? You know, we could look more holistically and more um, pragmatically, you know, in terms of, you know, how could we help each other out, you know, when we hit those unforeseen road bumps, which do happen, you know, which do happen. I mean, you look at us in the second row this season, you know, we had Steve Cummins who, you know, we, we offloaded, uh, you know, great, great player because we had, you know, real strength and depth in the second row. 
you know, then we had a couple of injuries and, you know, we're having to play, you know, 20 year old boys in that position. Now they did incredibly well, but that's risky. Um, and what it also highlights too, and, and this year is an exception, but, but I think this is something we need to do a better job of, you know, we need a, a better second tier competition that those up and coming boys can get game time in, you know, that when we do have these crises or these opportunities prop up or they stick their head up, you know, we're able to grab them from there and slot them into the first team and they're able to seamlessly make that step up. So, it, you know, for me, you know, there's a lot of opportunity around the structure, you know, the efficiencies of, you know, how we go about our business in the game of rugby. Um, so, you know, I'm very excited about that because for me, I think those are things that give us an opportunity to really improve the game, you know, for all the clubs in Wales, all the pro clubs in Wales, uh, as well as ultimately then, you know, feeding up into the national side. You did mention there some, um, the production of talent in the back row, particularly with regard to sevens. Now, there's a story broken today uh, in the rugby paper that suggests that Jack Morgan, young bright talent, could be moving away from Clenethley. Is there anything you're able to, to share on that? Would you, would you expect Jack to be a Scarlet's player next season? I mean, I, I can't talk about, you know, specific, uh, you know, contractual discussions, um, you know, until they're done and dusted. You know, Jack is an incredible talent. Um, you know, I've not spent any time with him, uh, but, you know, feedback I get is, you know, he's, he's a great individual too. Um, so we, we'd love to see him, you know, in a Scarlet's jersey. We're fortunate, you know, that we do have, um, you know, real strength in that position within the squad. Um, and clearly, you know, that, you know, players have to make decisions about, you know, how much game time they believe they're going to get. And, you know, the players within a particular squad that they exist in, you know, who they uh, effectively they compete against. Uh, I thought Josh McLeod had a great game last night. Um, so, look, I, I think we've got a good environment. I think, you know, we can offer people like Jack, you know, a great future, you know, but ultimately, you know, players are going to make, you know, their own decisions. And then finally, just to uh, just to finish, you know, we've we've mentioned there a couple of times about all the the uncertainty and the doubt and uh, over when rugby is going to resume and stuff. I just wanted to finish on how much are you looking forward to that day when we're able to we're able to welcome fans back into the ground and rugby as we know it will resume. You know, but, to be honest, it almost feels like I haven't really started the job yet. You know, because I've not been able to experience that. I think the closest I got was our away game in Bath uh, a couple of weeks before Christmas, where they had, I believe it was three and a half thousand people in the ground. Uh, and that was a great day out. You know, they, I mean, again, you know, back to one of the topics we talked about earlier, you know, walking up from the station with Scarlet's bobble hat on, you know, people in the street, you know, thanking me for coming down, you know, wishing me luck. Uh, you know, going into the ground, you know, or, or the bath, you know, folk that I met, you know, were very, very gracious and, you know, very happy to see us there. And it was a fantastic game of rugby, was it not? It was. So, yeah, I mean, those are the days we live for, right? And, and ultimately, that's why we do this job, is to deliver those experiences. So, yeah, I mean, the sooner we can get back there, the better. You know, clearly a lot of it's outside of our control and, you know, clearly, you know, people up and down the country are, you know, dealing with significant issues right now. So, you know, I don't want to exacerbate those issues. You know, we'll, we'll 
continue to exist as, as best as we can and um, you know do our bit to support society's uh, you know path to you know see a way through this current epidemic. Well, Simon, it's been fascinating to chat to you. Really appreciate you uh, you coming on and giving us your time on this Sunday evening. And uh, yeah, all the best for the rest of the season. And uh, hopefully chat to you again at some point soon. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Have a good evening. Thank you. So fascinating there to chat to Simon Mudrak, the exec chairman of the Scarlets, and uh, delighted to say that I'm also joined on the show by Steph Thomas. How are you, Steph? Uh, very well, thank you. How are you? Yes, good, thanks. Lots of uh, lots of stuff to get through, really. And uh, I don't know about you, but I certainly found that a lot more enjoyable weekend of rugby from a from an entertainment perspective than perhaps we'd uh, we'd been enjoying over over Christmas. Yeah, certainly. I think. Um... Even the most die-hard Welsh rugby fan would have struggled with the um, with the opening four derbies of the festive period. But yesterday was it wasn't it wasn't perfect, but it was a it was a breath of fresh air. You know, you looked at the um, Cardiff Blues and Scarlets game. You know, you know when you win penalties and you sort of automatically think they're going to go for territory. But Thomas Williams caught um, Scarlets out a few times. You know, taking a couple of uh, quickly tapped penalties when their backs were turned and. You know, it got the game moving a little bit faster. Um, I thought the Ospreys game was uh, quite a decent contest as well. Um, none, neither game was up to the same standard as the Bath against Wasps game on Friday night, but it was it was a it was a watchable, um, two watchable games. I think that's uh, probably the the best way I describe it. Oh, yeah, I've had a couple of people suggest as well that perhaps that that uh, that game between Bath and Wasps was perhaps a bit of a reason for a change in mindset. Do you, do you think there's anything in that, that, you know, that, that players would have been aware of the fact that, that a game with that much excitement has taken place and they want to go out and, and play a bit more? Or do you think that's kind of purely coincidental? I'm not really sure. I suppose only the players can answer that. Um, I think the players would have certainly been aware of um, the criticism on um, knowing the press and in, on social media about the, the standard of the first two derby, or the first two weekends of um, of derbies, you know, let's let's not beat around the bush. It was um, it was pretty dire stuff um, from an entertainment perspective, anyway. So um, I think they'd have been aware of that. Um, I think from from a Cardiff Blues perspective, I think they they obviously played the best rugby, didn't they? Um, you could tell they were really revitalised. They they are they, they had a purpose about them. Obviously, Mullivan Hill has gone. Um, no slight on him, but obviously David Young is in the crowd. Um, not that there was a crowd, but, you know, he was in he's in the stands, um, new director of rugby. So they really wanted to impress him. So it was a bit of a bit of a trial, I suppose. And look at the halfbacks, Thomas Williams and and Jared Evans. They they were wonderful, weren't they? Um Thomas, um, you know, catching Scarlett out a few times with his um you know, quick thinking, quick taps, Jared, you know, he was he was a magician on the field on um on Saturday night. I d I don't think I've seen Jared play like that since I don't know. I think since the season they won the Challenge Cup, um, you know, when Gareth Anscombe was playing full back. So um, I, I don't think they they would have taken much notice of the Bath Wasps game, but I think they would have been acutely aware of the of the criticism um, surrounding the first two weekend of derbies. Yeah, it felt um, there was something quite strange about knowing that 
that Dai Young's going to be in charge of Cardiff again and the game being taking place at, uh, at Cardiff City Stadium, it all felt a little bit, um, all felt a little bit 2010. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was expecting, I was expecting uh, Sam Norton Knight to pop up at one point, but it was, uh, yeah, well, hopefully it, not. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that, that, that might have damp, that might have dampened the quality a bit. Poor old Sam, but uh, it was a uh, yeah, a cracking, uh, cracking game of rugby, and as you say, I think the um, certainly a, a lot more enjoyable. Um, rugby across the uh, across the weekend as a whole we've got loads of listeners questions and I'm keen to kind of get stuck into uh, to a few of these Steph as well just want to build on um, build on what you were saying there this question has come from Diego von Albatross who I can only presume is using his real name uh, what made the weekend's rugby entertaining compared with the last uh, with last week's dross weather players mentality I think we've spoken about <laughs> the mentality a bit do you, do you think things like weather do play that much of a of an impact I know they can but what, what are your thoughts on that I suppose we'd we'd be a bit naive if we thought that the um, you know wet and windy because it conditions didn't play a, a part in um, in the type of game they played. Um, I suppose I, I touched on in my previous answer. I think the players would have been aware of how how poor the first um, you know t- uh, two weekends of derbies were. Um, you know Cardiff had an edge obviously because they you know they wanted to play for their uh, and impress the new the new director of rugby. So um, I think that had something to do with it. But there was a, I can't remember the actual stat. I should have written it down. But there was I read a remarkable stat the other day comparing the amount of kick returns in um, in the Galga Premiership to um, to, to the to Welsh derbies and the Pro uh, Pro Twelve as there is at the moment. And again, I haven't got the actual figures. I should have written them down. But they were considerably higher in the Premiership to the Pro Twelve. Um, you know the Scar- I was at the Scarlet Dragons game New Year's Day, and God alive, it was it was dreadful stuff. There was no way to to um, to dress that up. It, it was awful. It was just kick tennis, and it wasn't just the fact that they were kicking. It was just they were po- it was poor kicking as well. Shameless, wasn't it? Like the All Blacks, for example, kick more than any other team in the world rugby, but it, it's creative kicking, isn't it? It's um, they, they kick for a purpose, um, but. There really wasn't in that game any purpose of the kicking in, in that game, but in in the Cardiff Blue Scarlet game, you know Cardiff were running the ball back a lot more. The Ospreys did it as well. You know, first ten minutes of the game, you know Luke Morgan made a, made a, made a couple of breaks, returning kicks. Prothro was just deadly. He's been a great signing, and and North as well. You know, he's getting back to his best. So, you know, I'm not saying that you have to run out out um, on the counter track every time because sometimes it's a wrong decision because you, you can run into trouble, but. And sometimes you have to kick, but um, it's almost in in the first two weekends, it's almost as if it was programmed in their head like they were robots. You know, you have to kick. Autom- this happens, you have to kick. Don't worry about what's in front of you. Just, just you have to do this. But there seem to be a bit more freedom, especially with the Cardiff Blues players. So, um, yeah, hopefully they they took a little bit of notice of the um, of the criticism they had in the uh, on the first two weekends of uh, of derbies. Obviously, we need to talk. We need to talk more really about the. John Mulville moving on and and Di Young coming back because I mean, this this has been a massive news story within within rugby this week. What are your thoughts on the appointment of uh, of Di Young personally? I think that's I think that's a great I think that's a great coup for Cardiff Blues. I I think so as well. Um, you know there is an old saying: don't go back, um, never go back. But you know I, I I don't really think we should take that as gospel. I think it it's it depends on the individual case, doesn't it? And for me. I can't really see them attracting a better coach than Dai Young on their playing budget. I know he's he's a director of rugby, not not technically a coach at the moment, but I think the 
the prospect of Dar Young as director of rugby. Um, you know, you look at what he did the first time at Cardiff, and and, and let's be honest, it, it wasn't all um, all rosy in uh, in his first stint. You know, he, he was very inexperienced when he originally took the role, and there were a couple of seasons where they were dreadful under him. But he grew and grew as a coach, you know, recruited really wisely. And by the end of it, they were desperate to keep him, you know, and he had all manner of English clubs bidding for his services, you know, should have made anything cup final. If they, if it be won that shootout, might have won it, who knows? You know, won the Challenge Cup. People will say it's a second-tier competition, but they beat a full-strength Toulon. Sonny Bill Williams, um, you know, Johnny Wilkinson, Joey Van Nieke gets lobby, etc., in front of 60-odd thousand fans in Marseille. Basically, a Heineken Cup game and everything but name. Uh, you know, won the Anglo Welsh. So he, he's been a successful coach. Fantastic at Wasps as well. I think at Wasps, it went a bit stale. His shelf life had ended. But, you know, he's a high caliber coach. And I think with Dwayne Peel coming in as head coach, by all accounts, one of, one of the best coaching prospects in the UK to learn off die. Uh, I, I honestly don't think they could have made any better appointments on their playing budget. So um, he understands the club as well. Obviously, the problem he's got is the game has moved on financially. So they haven't got the maybe the same financial clout they used to have. So there is that. I, I don't think you can expect miracles, but certainly, um, yeah, I, I think they've, um, they've hit the jackpot, if I'm being honest. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, we we looked at the appointment of John Mulville three years ago and it felt like it was something of a last-minute appointment. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it certainly had had the air of that. And, I, you know, I, I don't think he's done a terrible job but by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, to look at it, I, I think despite it's been a bit of a, it's probably not been handled particularly well from a PR perspective, the fact that they've act, acted quickly and secured the, secured the services of, you know, of an excellent coach and someone who, who, knows, uh, who knows the club inside out as well, you know, I think you have to say that there's, there's a, degree of, uh, a degree of praise that they deserve for doing that. So, yeah, I think hitting the jackpot is probably, uh, probably the right way of, uh, of putting it. Let's, uh, let's move on and take um, a, couple more, uh, a couple more questions. This one's from Ian Alexander. Uh, what further punishment will Liam Williams face for his comments to the referee as he left the pitch last night? Answer to that is I um, <clears throat> I don't know, but I think he should face further punishment. I just think it was it, it was an accident waiting to happen, wasn't he? Um, let's let's not beat around the bush. He's a fantastic player. I'm not saying he's a he's a dirty player. He's had a he's had a bad game, you know, and and he, he probably learned from it. But you know he. he that was a reckless act, wasn't it? Um, I'm not saying it, it, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. I'm not going to go over the top, but letter of the law says, you know, any contact to the head with force, direct to the head, no mitigating circumstances, the ref had no choice whatsoever as a red card offence. And they didn't have... What I don't understand is, I don't understand what he was trying to achieve either because they, they'd won the penalty. They, they You know, they, they, there was nothing to be gained. So... Yeah, I, I think it's really poor, but yeah, I, I think the comments to the ref again, you know, he's really annoyed, uh, heat of the moment stuff. He probably, you know, would be would disagree with what he's saying if 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 he listened to himself now. But given what you know, what's been in the press recently, with likes of Alex Popham, Steve Thompson, and many other players suffering from horrific, you know, after effects of um, concussion, it's a very um, it's a very poor comment, wasn't it? And, and I. I, I like Liam, but I don't think he can he can have much complaint if he um if he does get a longer ban for those comments. Yeah, and no, I think you're I think you're absolutely right there. Looking at some of the yeah, some of the exciting rugby that was played there. This one's come from John Lewis. 
Jared Evans, arguably one of uh, the best attacking tens uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. I mean, it was it's, it's a big statement there. But how far is he off having the all-round game uh, to be to be away? Yeah, to be the, the number ten for Wales. I think he's a little a little way off. If I'm being honest, I think yesterday was um, you know I think he was magnificent yesterday. As I said, I think he's probably the best I've seen him play since um, you know that uh, that season where they won the Challenge Cup. Um, it was what was it four years ago, three or four years ago. He, he, he's just he's an he's such a gifted player. He's a wonderful ball player, real threat with ball in hand. Got you know, makes lovely breaks. Got a lot of vision as well. But in too many games, yesterday was was man of the match performance. Personally, I thought both of them was man of the match. If I was choosing, he would have had it. But Jared was excellent. But if you look at his performance throughout the whole season and last season, and even going back to that season where they won the Challenge Cup, Jared played ten. But Anscombe was coaching him throughout the game. Anscombe was the one calling the shots from 15. You go back to watch our game in Bilbao, second half. Anscombe is playing full back, but he's standing up first receiver for, for almost half the second half. You know, so Jared is still learning. I think um, his kicking game isn't good enough. Uh, I don't think his game management is international class. I think um, it's one of the worst kept secrets in rugby that, you know, he. He, 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 he's one of the most gifted players in Wales. He has the ability to play international rugby at a high level. But until he sorts his kicking game out, uh, I don't mean his goal kicking. He's a good goal kicker. I mean, you know, when to kick, you know, when not to kick uh, and his game management. When the Cardiff are under pressure, he goes missing. Forget, he's wonderful on the front foot. When they're under pressure, he goes missing. And until he sorts that out, he's not an international class player. He has the ability He's a more talented player than Callum Sheedy, for example. But Sheedy knows when to kick, when to pass, when to run. He can control a game and he's got excellent game management. Until he learns that aspect, adds that aspect to his game, then unless there's a lot of injuries, he's not going to play for Wales. Uh, he's got the ability, but at the moment, a lot of work to do, in my opinion. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think that to go back to the point you made about the season where they won the European Challenge Cup, I think you'd expect that at the point he was, like you say, it was three years ago, three, yeah. nearly four years ago. So he would have been, what, 20, 21 at the time. And you've got, and you've got Gareth Anscombe, who's a, an ex, you know, much more experienced 10 in the setup. So I think, you know, having that dovetail of 10, 15 made perfect sense. But you're absolutely right. Those games, those games where you show the ability to control and to get your team out of trouble is what's needed at international level. I do think he's starting to show the importance that he has on that on that Cardiff side now a, a lot more. And again, I think with a new coaching structure, that will definitely help because you've got uh, a gifted a gifted backs coach in Dwayne Peel, who I think will be able to get more out of him. But you've also got that the director of rugby in Diane adding that level of structure and di- and actual direction to the to the to the team as a and to the to the club as a whole. So I think we'll see we'll see more from him. If there were to be a Six Nations in uh, in February March, which at the moment feels more and more hypothetical, for me he'd be I, I would have him in the squad. Um, and if it was a normal season, I would have if you're not going to fe- feature him in the 23. I would have him back to to Cardiff to make sure he's not missing out on the on the game time. But I don't think that's um, you know I, I think we, yeah we're dealing with a lot of hypotheticals at the moment. But you um, so obviously it's not been confirmed yet, but it looks likely that they they are going to sign or have signed Reese Priestland. If you pick Cardiff's best team next year, 
it's, it's not even contest. It's Priestland all day long. And I don't know. Priest- I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. I think it's a, I know I'm a, I'm a big fan of Priestland's ability. I think he's done a brilliant uh, job. Uh, I think, I, I think he's a, a different level of player to Evans, um, myself. Um, Evans is younger and I think Priestland will help to mentor him. So I think it's fantastic there. Um, Obviously, look, Priestland's 34, so short-term signing, obviously. Jara's long-term, you'd hope. Um, and I think Jared will, I, I hope he will develop into that that level of player. But on Priestland, I'm going to open a can of worms now. So That's why we get you on, Steph. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, basically, right, look, the Six Nations might probably won't go ahead as, as planned, but hypothetically, if it did... Um, Pivak has a breakout clause in his contract. Um, the narrative is let's build to the World Cup, so you would pick Jared ahead of him, and you, you pick Sheedy in that case. Um, maybe you're one Lloyd, but Pivak needs results. I, I don't, you know, I, I just find that there's too much emphasis on the World Cup. Sometimes this is just an easy, it's an excuse to hide behind. It can become at times. Um, so if if Pivak Pivak needs results, doesn't he? And if you were to pick Wales's best team, you'd argue bigger as a 10. But there is an argument that Reese Priestland should play 10 for Wales. Now, he's only got 50 caps, so technically he's ineligible. But if he signs for Cardiff, or if he, if he are, has already signed, I my sources say that he's 100% going to be there next year. So when Reese Webb had signed for, he was playing for Toulon, but had signed for the Ospreys. Yeah, he was back. Uh, yeah, so the PRB took a vote and they allowed him to come back and they set the precedent. So that could happen with Priestland. Now, obviously, if, if Pivak's looking to the World Cup, you don't pick him. But I don't. Th- I think Pivak desperately, desperately needs results. And if you have an inexperienced half-back pairing or inexperienced 10, you know, you're risking it a bit. You know, you are. So um, it's going to be interesting to see if, if he does turn to Priestland because he's, he's his type of 10 as well, isn't he? So um, that that's Six Nations probably won't happen. So it's probably irrelevant. But I think that's, um, that's an interesting... Um, story that could unfold over the next six months or so yeah absolutely right he needs results um i think that with that in mind i think yeah i still think that but i still think the biggest the, the most reliable 10 to go yeah, to because, yeah. you know for all those reasons we've said you know if you can get front football Definitely. then everyone's delighted to have jared evans or uh or reese priestland at 10 but uh and, and you're right it is it is an excuse often building towards the world cup and i think that Yes, he might be able to offer some more results, but is he? You know, he's playing. He's played. He's played brilliant rugby, really, since he's been at Bath. Um, but would you say that the form is so spectacular that it ousts Sheedy and uh, Sheedy and Bigger and um, and Jared Evans? I don't know. I think it's. I think it's. It's quite a close call. But uh, yeah, and as you, as you say, you know, I, I think the likelihood of that tournament taking place is slim. But. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, it's it's a fascinating one. I think it's a great signing for Cardiff. I think it's I think it's really good because again, you know, yeah, like yeah. you say, there it's hype when you're talking about when the best uh, when they go to pick their best side. You could very easily slot Priestland in at 15 and have him do exactly the same role that Anscombe was doing for uh, for Jared Evans in in 2017. Well, he played um, he played fullback for the Scarlets, and Stephen Jones was 10. This was in his younger days. Obviously, he had a bit more pace then, but um, so he, but he, he can play 15. There's there's no doubt about that. Yeah, and and you know, as you know, how often do you get the opportunity to pick your uh, to pick your side where you've got all your, your players available? It's very very slim. And we've seen when Jared Evans isn't available for 
for Cardiff, they, they struggle with Tavi at 10. You know, they, they do the, the results and the performances show that. And so having yeah. someone at Priestons class to come in bolsters the squad. So, yeah, good business all round, I think. Right, let's take another question. Uh, Gareth Thorne Jones got in touch and said, Will the Six Nations happen? I think we're both of the same. Uh, the same opinion on that one. Um, we've just spoken about tens. Let's have a let's have a chat about nine. I know we've spoken about Harry Randall before. Uh, this one's from Lewis Eldred. Wales has an abundance of choice at nine at the moment. How much would you like to see him get a call up, Harry Randall? I know we we have spoken about this before, Steph. You you think he's he's much more inclined to to play for England? Well, the only person who can answer that is is Harry Randall himself. But um, from listening to his interviews. Um, you know, I think he, he, I think I can't remember where I read it. I think it was the mail, but a month back, and he, he basically said, "Look, I, I'm I'm really proud of some of my Welsh background." I think he said the fact he was brought up in Wales and he's really passionate about Wales as well. But ultimately, he considers himself English. His, his parents are English, and he's always wanted to play for England. And good luck to him. Um, so I I would be surprised if he played for Wales. Um, that's not to say it's impossible. I mean, if Eddie Jones doesn't pick him, maybe he wants a bigger scrum half. And then Pivak or whoever coaches Wales catches him at the right time could get lucky. You don't know, do you? But um, I would be I would be surprised. Uh, he's a fine player. He'd be an asset to Wales. But yeah, I I I, I think he likely plump for England. Okay, let's uh, let's move back to back to club rugby again. Obviously, we said a disappointing result for Scarlets last night. This one's from Sean Thomas. Why do you think the Scarlets star-studded backline isn't firing? Million dollar question, isn't it? Um, yeah, you look at their back line on, on paper. God, it's one of the best back lines in, in Europe, I would have thought. Um, you know, you look at our team yesterday, you know, two test lines in the back three Steph Evans, very good player, Foxy's John and Davis is has been world class, Johnny Williams, good player, halfbacks, decent. Um, personally, nothing against Dan Jones, but I think they're really missing Patchell. Um, he's you've just got so much more potential when you got Patchell at 10. I think Jones, you know, he's good kicking out of hand. Uh, I don't think his defense is great, if I'm being honest. Um, but on the whole, he's, he's solid. But Patchell is a different league, isn't he? He's um, he's got so much, he's a big man, he's got so much pace, he just gives you that different dimension. His passing is outstanding, he's got a lot of vision bit brittle in defense himself, maybe, but he, he just adds so much spark to a back division. Um, so that that's that's a reason, one of the reasons. Um, also, I, you know, I just look at them and I think they've got a pretty decent pack. If I'm not saying they got Clermont Toulon level pack, but they have got a good pack. You know, oh, it's like, it's a huge pack, isn't it? It is. Like, it's, it is. It's massive. You look, you look at that back five of the pack. Look at the two locks: Sam Lousy, Tavita, Atuvas. He's huge. Carla Mafoni, huge. McLeod's a big boy as well. Um, Blade Thompson's a big boy as well. You know, that's a mass. That was a significantly bigger back five in comparison mm. to Cardiff's, uh, but they, they were outgunned. But um, but the point I'm making is they've got a platform. It's not it's not like in the past where they've had great backs, but they haven't had the ball. Mm. They've got a platform. Now, there are areas of the game which are good. The scrum is pretty good. The pack is, is decent. Um, got, got a lot of carders in their pack. Um, but they, they seem... They, they don't create much, do they? You know, you know what they're going to do. Johnny Williams or Steph Hayes is going to truck it up. Um, they're going to go through a few phases. Steph Evans might pop up at first receiver to, um, to try and create something. And then they'll run out of ideas and they'll Dan Jones will put boot to ball. And I, I, I do think that 
the attack coaches. I've, I've got to take some responsibility for that. Um, you know, it's collective effort. I don't know what's going on in camp. Obviously, I, I'm just a journalist, I'm not a coach. So I, I respect that. But, you know, you look at the calibre of player in that back line and you look at the platform they've got, I don't think their attacking performance has been good enough. And I think they've won a lot of games because they've got very, very good individual players. But as a unit, I think they need to be a lot better in coming seasons if they want a chance with silverware. And look at their squad, and, and they should be in the quarterfinals and semi-finals of competition, certainly, certainly the pro 16 as it's going to be. So I think they, um, you know, I, I don't think their back play has been good enough. And then you obviously you mentioned that. I think you're right. They, they certainly miss Patcher. A lot of people are getting very excited about Sam Costello, but he's very inexperienced, isn't he? Do you think he's he's kind of too green to throw into some of these games, or could that be an opportunity if they, you know, if we end up with a couple of friendlies over the next few weeks, could that be a good opportunity for him to get some more game time under his belt? So one one point that, before I go on to that, I was going to make as well. Um, if you want to play a direct game, and they do look like they want to play pre-direct game, obviously they have got Johnny Williams there, Foxy's. You know, tidy carrier as well, but they probably need need a cup, bit of a bit more, a bit more oomph in the back three as well. If you're going to go down that route, you need big men. You need like a Samuel Andradras. Never going to afford him, but that type of sort of Sean Lamont. Yeah, Sean Lamont. Uh, but when he played, they didn't have a pack. So, but that type of player. Um, so that that if they're going to go down that route, I don't think they should. But that's probably the type of player they need. But I I think. You've got to be careful when you when you trying to push through um, a ten like that. He's he's a fantastic prospect. What I like about Costello is um, I've watched him play age grade and he's very talented, but he's brave in defence. Obviously, if Carl Maffoni runs down his channel, it's just physics and he's going to get knocked off. But what I like about him as well is game management is very good. You no, know, obviously he's younger, and less experienced, but if you compare him to Jared Evans, obviously. Costello hasn't had a chance to do it at pro level, but his problem solving is a lot better. For when I watched him play for tw- Wales twenties and some age grade game for games for Leicester and Ampdale, when when they're under pressure and things don't go their way, he gets them out of trouble. He, he's a real thinking player, so I think he's a fantastic prospect. I'd like I like to see him use a little bit more. I think probably the idea of having him on the bench coming off last off a bench last twenty minutes or so rather than just chucking him to the Wolves from the start, probably sensible. But I would agree that maybe he hasn't played enough because I, I think he's, um, I think his ceiling is is really high. And I think he's, um, I think he's a figure Welsh international, injury permitting. I, I'd be stunned if he didn't win 30, 40, 50 caps for Wales, if not more. Let's have a look at um, let's have a look at the other game, which was uh, which was Dragons Ospreys, uh, and we've had this question in from Rugby Twenty Four Seven. Good result for the Ospreys, but what has happened to the Dragons? They appear to be on a downward trajectory again. Would you agree with that? No, I wouldn't. Um, you know, their playing budget is what, what was it four point seven million pounds, four point eight million pounds. They're ravaged by injuries. Well, what do you expect? You know, how can you expect the Dragons to? compete to sides that have playing budgets four, five, six million more than them, if not more in some cases. They're the poor relations. They're poor in comparison to the other Welsh teams, let alone, you know, you, you, you know, your Irish and French, etc. And they've got injuries on top of that. I think Dean Ryan's just been a godsend for them. I think he's made them they they had no right to be as close as they were to the Ospreys yesterday. The Ospreys 
they're a work in progress themselves, right? They were very confident. You know, they they, they went ahead. Uh, you know, uh, early doors, the the couple of breaks, etc. In the past, no doubt, 40, 50 point win for the Ospreys. But Ryan has made them a difficult team to beat again. If you beat the Dragons, you've got to do the hard way. And and uh, you look at you look at their with the Scarless, they should be doing better, as we just said. We just listed their backline. With the Dragons, you look at their team and you think, should they be beating the Ospreys? Should they be beating the Scarlets? Definitely not. Absolutely not. But you know, they could have won yesterday. You know, they got got the real grafters, they they fight until the end. The fact of the matter is, until their playing budget is significantly increased, you know, they're not going to be able to do anything. There's no point, you know, you can't, you cannot expect a team on their playing budget, with injuries on top of it especially, to be beating teams with three, four, five million pound more than them. Absolutely not. They're as good as they should be at the moment, and that's that. That's it, in my opinion. Yeah, I think just to obviously check my um, check my opinion onto that quickly. I definitely agree that they're not on a downward trajectory. I think that again, for all the reasons you've outlined there, injury, the performance, the performances that they put in. I think I said this, you know, a couple of weeks ago to turn out in those European games with with you know with second, third string dragon sides. And yes, you know, the score lines weren't pretty, but at the same time, to be competitive for large chunks of the game is good. I think the thing that is a little frustrating. Um, is that you're right, the playing budget is the major factor for why we're not able to to, um, to consistently go out and, and get results. But I think once you're in those you're in those games, and I look back, you know, I think the, the game um, the game at home to Cardiff over uh, over Christmas, there was a win there to be had, and that I think would have been a massive win in terms of uh, in terms of morale. You're right again, that team on paper last night. With a team that's shorn of, you know, of, of someone like Ollie Griffiths, who's the pure, you know, pure absolute class in that side. No Tane Basham in there, you know. A, 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 we said before, you know, a front five that has lacked power in the past. To go out there and run them close is great, but I think when you're in those games, it's just having having the ability to to kind of get over the line. But I think they get. I think they're moving in the right direction. I still do, and, and you're right. The the driving force behind that is Dean Ryan. And I think you look at how some of the players have improved. I mean, Harry Keddie's playing so so well at the moment. He's been he's been a real real um, you know real step up in terms of of his performance. It's helped that he stayed injury clear, but you can you can see the the, the level that Dean Ryan holds him in because he's you know he's made him captain. You know he could have very easily given the armband to Roberts again last night, but he obviously thinks he's going to be he's the kind of player who's going to be very very important to the Dragons over the over the next couple of years. So I certainly don't think they're on a downward trajectory. No, and I think Ryan has said in a few interviews that like Harrison Caddy's just been outstanding. He's, as you said, he's a captain. I could see him being captain long term. I think his on-field performance has been excellent as well. Um, so yeah, I think he's been a real, uh, real positive point for them. Okay, let us move on. Let's have a chat about the Ospreys now. And one player in particular. This one is from the Dragon Thistle Rugby Pod, which I've not had a, a chance to listen to yet. Does Adam Beard deserve to be back in the Wales squad, uh, especially given Jake Ball's injury? He's going to be there by default, isn't he? Because if uh, Rowlands is out or a doubt, if Ball is out, Arlen wins out for the first few games, he's going to have to be there, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, I think he does deserve to be there, though, personally. I think he's, um, you know, he's, he brings a level of physicality. Um, you know, he's, 
he's he's excellent in in terms of his mall defence. I think he's the best in Wales at that. Uh, I think that's something we missed. The mall defence is atrocious in, in the autumn, so I think that that's a benefit. So I think I think he'll he'll um, he'll definitely be there. Um, interesting. I I think there might be a couple of white if there is a Six Nations. There might be some wild cards at lock, um, and I think I think he'll definitely be there. As I've said, um, they will carry. They probably will pick Jake Ball if he's injured, if there's any chance in having win. But Morgan Jones, the Scarlet Lock, and Ben Carter from the Dragons, they're future internationals for, for sure. Maybe not ready for Test Rugby, but I don't see what, what choice they've got, if I'm being honest. Um, but, but to answer the question, I think Beard will be there, and I think he, he does deserve to be there as well. Yeah, I think, yeah, you've hit all the... All the and Rhys Davis from the Ospreys, he's playing well as well. Yeah, he's been a good signing, hasn't he? I think... Um, yeah. You know, we mentioned recruitment in the first half uh, with relation to the Scarlets, but I think that um, some of those Ospreys players are settling in very well. You mentioned Matt Prothero, uh, Prothero at fullback. I mean, he's a, he's a very, very gifted mm. player and that's been a great signing. I think players like Reese Davis, you know, if you're able to to get them back to Wales, he just adds some adds some grunt and some physicality, yeah. which... Um, you know, which which has definitely been needed, and um, yeah, I think I think those those signings have been good. And another one, you know, looking at Stephen Myler coming into the side, you know, and you thought well, he's he's not the most exciting of signings, especially uh, at, the, at the age years, but he's been fantastic. He's been absolutely superb, giving them some structure, giving them level headed um, decision making at times. I think he's been. You know he's been a really good stopgap for them. Um, you know while they try and uh, try and nurture through some of the uh, you know some of the younger talents, or you know Anscombe comes back to fitness. Absolutely, I think he's neck and neck, isn't he? With Sione Calamifornia's best um, regional signing. Um, yeah, not the most exciting player, but he's just so experienced, such a good mentor of younger players. Um, game management is excellent. You know, goal, great goal kicking, just does the right things. Clearly, clearly a stopgap, clearly short term. But he's, I think he's he's been a real shrewd acquisition by Toby Booth. And if we're on on the Six Nations beat, you want a wild card. I I, I think I think Ivan Phillips, the hooker, has got to have a look in, isn't he? Um, he's, he's, he's in, the, he's, in the, he's in the squad for me, Steph. Yeah, if that was again, if that's happened, um, you know, there's there's no Ken Owens. Yeah. I think he's got so much ability and he's an X factor player. You know, he's got, he's explosive ball carrier. Um, it's very hard to judge, to judge a, a hooker on their, you know, on their online outs and stuff like that, yeah. because it's, it is, a, it is a collective effort, but it's, you yeah. know, his darts seem pretty good and, mm. you know, it can be a bit of a terror over the ball. So, you know, he's, yeah. he's, he's going to be in Wales squads going forward. I, I know a lot's I made about so. Terry Lake. And who again is another excellent prospect, but I think right now Phillips looks like the the you know and the the pace about him as well actually yeah. he's got a real turn of oh, pace, yeah. like um yeah you know, it's a bit like Cronin the uh, the Irish hooker who um you know I, I just think he he was a I, if he, I, I think if you know if he, Cronin's one of those players if he had if he was another nationality I think he'd have a hell of a lot more caps because he's just it he was just offered something so different and I think uh, yeah Phillips in the same mold. I think um, I think Ken is likely to be back for the Six Nations, which will be a boost. But Ken is he's still Ken Owens is still the best Welsh hooker by country mile, but he's still he is thirty four at the end of the day. So I think they they do need contingency plans. Um, I think um, Ryan Elias came in for an unfair criticism. I don't think the line out failings were all his fault, and I think he's played well for Scarlet. I like Elliot D as well. Um, Parry solid, but but Phillips has got. He's got a point of difference, isn't he? 
You know, he's got he's solid, but he's you know he came off a bench against the Scarlets in that game, and he floored three players with his explosive ball card. And he's got a real turn of pace, and I I just I like Sam Parry, but I, I think uh, yeah I I think Pivak's got to pick one hooker who he thinks can usurp Ken because realistically you want Owens to be usurped and you? you want him to be knocked out of the team by a younger mm-hmm. player because you don't want him him retiring at the top of his game and then you're suddenly looking left right and centre for his replacement uh, and I think he needs to he needs to look at him in terms of um, in terms of Dewey Lake phenomenal carrier huge size great at the breakdown can't throw in you know I know it's a collective effort but in the game against the Scarlets I'm sure the ref was leaving go um, some of the not just ignoring some of the not straights they were so blatant and he's doing it all the time and until he can throw in properly it's just pointless debating whether he should be in the squad uh, but if he can throw in, he, he could be world class. But for the time being, I think um, I think even Phillips is really knocking on the door. I think he's he's been outstanding for the Ospreys. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. Right, let's finish it on this one from Greg Sherrington. Uh, Lions tour options. So working on the basis that that twenty twenty one is off, what would be your preferred uh, preferred kind of solution? Would it be to move to summer twenty twenty two, autumn of this year, um, autumn of next year? UK only, uh, you know, UK rather than South Africa. What, are you, what, what would be your preferred solution, Steph? Well, my preferred solution would be just to play next summer and just have exactly as it should be, uh, as it was planned. But reality is, you know, the home nations will say we've already planned our tours, World Cup preparation, and I understand that. Um, but they also benefit financially from the Lions. Um, so yeah, my I, I'm not that keen on it being played in the UK. I think the Lions are tourists. Um, I think I don't I, I don't mind them playing the odd game in the UK, like they're doing against Japan and they did against Argentina in 2005. But I think in the main that they are they are tourists, and I, I would like to see the Six Nations played in the summer where there is more of a chance of crowds, even if it's not full of crowd, even if it's just ten thousand or something. It's better than nothing, isn't it? So I'd like to see that, and just the Lions postponed. Um, to next summer, so that that would be my my preferred choice. But whether they agree on that, I, I don't know. I think look, I think if you were, yeah, if you're looking at what the right answer is in terms of what's right for right for the sport, I guess I think that is the right solution. Look, the Lions are tourists. That's 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 part of what makes it special. Yeah. Is you, you know you're a uh, is that you're away from home. I think that to kind of leave South Africa in the lurch uh, over it. You know, it's not like this country has been uh, has been COVID free, has it? It's you know the 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 the, the three home nations that are part of the the UK plus you know plus Northern Ireland, right? Has, has had a horrific time with um, with this disease, and so you know if there was if there was a degree of solidarity, I, I think it's it, it's a it would be bad form to you know to pull the ladder up from South Africa, who would benefit massively from uh, from the tour. Um, and yeah, it gives you an opportunity to move to Six Nations to the summer and, and experiment with, you know, with what that might look like. And that to me is the right answer. I know it makes things more crowded towards the towards Rugby World Cup, but I think that, you know, everything's yeah. going to be crowded now. You know, everything is going to be crowded. Um, and that's something, that, again, that has to be looked at. But it's whether or not you can park self-interest and history would tell us that, that, um, that you can't. Well, the home unions would have to get some out of it financially on an individual yeah. basis when they money talks. That's that's the be all and end all, isn't it? Really. So, um, 
yeah, I, I in full agreement to do. I think that's that should be the the solution, but whether it will be or not, I'm I, I really don't know. Yeah, and uh, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, yeah, it's, it feels like a bit of a, a bit of a downer to to finish on, but it's been a really uh, really interesting show tonight. Uh, so big thanks to you, Steph, for for joining us. Um, a a big thanks to Simon Murak for joining us in the first half as well. Really really interesting stuff. And Steph, thank you for uh, for sorting that for us. Uh, and as always, big thanks to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Uh, we also generally encourage people to leave us a review on iTunes, which uh, we've had one in this week, which uh, just simply says great long form podcast. So thank you very much for that. That one's come <laughs> from Arthur Dark down the Arms Park. So uh, thank you for that, whoever you are and whatever your real name may be. Um, but yeah, if you enjoy listening to the show, then please make sure you do the same thing for us. Uh, and whether or not there's any any rugby in the forthcoming weeks, we will be around to still chat about what's going on off the pitch. So, uh, yeah, once again, thanks for listening. And we'll be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon. Podcast Network.